Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Paul's basic boast here is he's, he's reluctantly boasting because he knows that if he does not, his credibility is shot. If his credibility is shot, the message he preached is shot. The false teachers are allowed to come in and take advantage of the people and spread their error. And he's saying there in verse 10, where we left off, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And again, this goes back to the Christian paradox. You win by losing. You gain by giving up. You get it all by giving up all. You gain by letting go. And Paul is saying, I have to let go of myself. I have to get myself out of the way, because if I don't get myself out of the way, then the power of Christ can't be seen. I have become a fool in boasting. You compelled me. Paul's saying, I feel like a fool having to boast, but you made me do it. It's your fault. You made me do it. You made me boast because that's the only way I can get you to understand what I'm trying to say. For I ought to have been commended by you, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. What does he mean by I should have been commended by you? Yeah, instead of me having my character besmirched, you guys should be sticking up for me. You know what kind of person I was. And again, Paul again and again, even in in the book of Thessalonians, what does he say? You know what kind of person I was among you. You watched me. You know what I was. My life was transparent. It was an open book. You saw the way I treated you. You saw the way I worked. You saw the way I supported the people that were ministering with me. I didn't take advantage of you people. Paul's saying I should be commended by you instead of having to defend myself. You should give me the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, isn't that the way it is in churches nowadays? We're so quick. Just stop and think about it. We're so quick to, to, to grab onto some juicy tidbit, aren't we? You know, you could be in this class, I'm just making this up, and think, you know, I'm the greatest teacher in the world. And then somebody says, well, you know, there's something about Schaefer you need to know. You know, do you know he kicks his dog every night? Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, that's horrible. And immediately, what what are we apt to do? Believe the worst, right? It doesn't matter. We're, we're, We're very quick to believe the worst in people. To go after the rumor. Yeah. That's brought out against anybody. Somebody comes and says, you know, let me tell you about Hildebrand there. You got to watch out for him. So, well, did you go talk to him? Well, no. I had somebody do that. I got a call from a guy on the phone saying, I need you to go shoot David Walls. David was our pastor then. Not shoot, but I'm talking figuratively. He said, you need to go deal with him. Uh, well, wh- wh- what's the problem? He's a liar. Okay, what did he lie about? He's a liar. Okay, what, give me a date. Give me a time. Give me a place. What did he lie about? Well, he's just a liar. Aren't you going to do something about it? 
Did you go talk to him? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. But you should go talk to him because he's a liar. And for I, I think for an hour, I tried to find out when did he lie? What did he lie about? And I could never get an answer on that. But I had to go talk to David Walls about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. But uh, we follow after that stuff. And Paul's in there saying, you know, and it probably hurt his feelings. Something about Paul says, you know what I did among you, how I how I worked my fingers to the bone to take care of you, to minister to you, to not take advantage of you, to not accept any financial compensation for what I did. And the first guy that walks in the door and says something about me, you buy hook, line, and sinker. What's wrong? Don't think about it. I should be commended by you instead of you listening to the gossip. And we got to ask ourselves, you know, do we listen to the gossip about other people? Don't. Don't go down that path. Don't go down that path. Don't buy into that. If somebody makes a complaint about someone, there's, there's a valid and biblical way to deal with that. Don't do it the other way. He said, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. What were the signs of the apostles? Were the miraculous signs, gifts? Paul said, you know. Think about it, folks. You saw what happened when I came there. What's wrong with you? And by the way, just so you understand, this is why miracles aren't going to cut it when it comes to unbelief. You know, people say, well, if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe. See Peter Wagner, that's his big theme. I don't know if you know about see Peter Wagner. He's in he's uh, one of the in in the charismatic circle, pretty deep into the charismatic um some of the circles. Uh professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. And um he's very much into the signs and wonders and and things like that. And his basic thesis is that's how unbelievers respond. They need to see a sign. They need to see a miracle. If they if they if we just had more miracles happening in our churches, more people would believe. What's Paul telling them? I came with miracles, and as soon as I left, you forgot about them and forgot that I ever did them. Miracles aren't gonna, you know. Think about Israel. You know how many how many miracles did God perform to get them out of Egypt? And what was the what was the end result? How many people believed God? Well, we know a couple of them, right? Out of two million people, you had a handful that believed. The rest of them died in unbelief. They saw the miracles. Well, you know, God brought us out here to kill us. We just know that. God brought you out here to kill you. That makes a lot of sense. Paul is saying, I should be commended. Instead, I have to defend myself. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I was not burdensome to you? The only difference between you and other churches is I didn't take any money from you guys. Sorry for not doing that. That's basically what he's saying. Forgive me for not taking advantage of you. A little bit of probably sarcasm tossed in there. You want to know what's different about you and other churches? I didn't take any money from you guys, whereas the other churches gave me financial support so I could come and minister to you people. Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. Paul visited them three times, right? The first time he stayed there for a long period of time. Then there was the harsh visit where some people say he was essentially run out of the church. And now Paul's saying, I'm going to come again to see you the third time. 
and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. Paul says, I'm not seeking what I can get from you. I'm seeking your well-being. I'm seeking your well-being. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Axiomatically, who takes care of who? Parents take care of the kids. Now, what was the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church? Paul was their father. The parent takes care of the children, not the children for the parents. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul says, I will die for you guys, and unfortunately, the more I love you, the less you love me. The more I give, the less I get. The heart of a true minister is to be spent for the people. He's interested in their well-being, not what he can get out of it. I was watching a video on the 50 years of Grace Community Church where MacArthur preaches, and they had a couple of the founding members there, and they said they remember when John came and, and preached, or, you know, he preached his, um, his uh, candidate message. He preached for an hour and a half on his candidate message. Over an hour, I think it was. And um, they said he, when he came, one of the guys there, he said he wanted three things. I can't remember all three of them. I remember two of them. He said, number one, John wanted 30 hours a week to study for the messages. And he would not discuss salary. He said, you guys pay me what you feel I should get. I will not discuss salary. I will never discuss salary with you. Because if God wants me here, he'll take care of me. And the guy said on that, he said, in all the time that John's been there, he has never once discussed salary. In fact, one time he said, John, John was talking, he said the, the elders came and gave him a pay increase. And John says, I, I don't need that. Give it to somebody else. I don't, you, I pay, you pay me too much already. And they said, no, we just want you to see, we want to see what you do with the money that you don't need. <laughs> Serve as a test, you know. Why, 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 Paul's saying, you know, the sad thing in the, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in it for you. And the sad thing to me is the more I love you, the less it seems that you love me. Be that as it may, I did not burden you. I didn't burden you how? By having you support me. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Did I take advantage? Now, here's the thing. He said, um, okay, I didn't take advantage of you, but did I sneak someone else in to take advantage of you? Like Titus and that other guy that showed up, right? Titus and the brother that was chosen by the churches to gather this collection for the saints. Did I try to sneak them in under the radar, you know, keep myself from taking advantage of you? I sent some other people in there to do that. Well, the rhetorical answer, of course not. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Do we not walk in the same steps? Titus is just like me. Did Titus take advantage of you people? Titus and I are on the same page on this. He, he acts just like I do. Again, do you think we, we excuse ourselves? Do we speak before God in Christ 
but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. I'm, I'm in this for your benefit, not mine. For I fear lest when I become, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I should be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispers, conceit, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. The idea there is Paul saying, when I come the second time, I don't want to be shamed by finding you guys in sin. I don't want to find you in your practice of ungodliness that you've not repented of. That would be bad. Paul saying, I care so much for you that it would be immensely painful for me to come and see that you've not repented of your sin. And they had it, didn't they? All kinds of sin. This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. I've told you before and foretells if I were present the second time and now being absent. I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come, I will not spare what the rod. I'm telling you all the people that, remember I came before and I got mistreated by some people. And if they've not repented and I come again, I'm not going to spare the rod. You get the idea here, if you read this, that Paul, Paul has a tremendous amount of trepidation about coming here. On one hand, he wants to come, but he's afraid that if he comes and they haven't repented or the people that were that, that had rose up against him the first time, if they're still there and they've not repented of that, that it won't be a pretty sight. I won't spare the rod. Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Paul said, I will come in the power of the Spirit. I will bring the rod. I don't want to. And again, this is answer all this. He's like, yeah, you know, Paul, he talks a big game when he's on the other side of the Aegean Sea. But Wakely shows up, he'll be a wuss. Paul's saying, you know, when I show up, I'm going to bring the rod. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the face. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. How do you know you're in the faith? Through the Spirit. You're different, right? And if, if you're like a lot of these people who are in this uncleanness and fornication and lewdness and everything else, how do they know they're a Christian? They don't, do they? Examine yourselves to test whether you're in the faith. So that you're not disqualified. Paul was a sports guy. He liked sports. Use a lot of sports metaphors. And he's speaking of being disqualified from, from the race. There's a lot of Christians who think they're Christians, but they're not. Examine yourselves. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Pray to God that you do no evil. 
not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, but we may seem disqualified, for we could do nothing against the truth for the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we pray that you may be made complete or whole, perfect. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I choose sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Apostles, I want to write this down so I can be careful with my words so I don't lose my temper if I'm there. And Paul's saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to be weak so that you can be strong. I mean, you get, you, throughout this, Paul is constantly telling them, I care for you people. I really care for you. I care that you not be disqualified from the race. I care that you repent of your wickedness and evil. I care that you believe the truth. I care that you believe my apostolic credentials, not because I have some ego thing with them, but because I preach to you the gospel, and when you reject me, you're rejecting the message I preach, and you're accepting the message of some other guy who's passing himself off as an apostle. And I'm worried that you're going to become shipwrecked from the truth. Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete. In other words, grow up. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another, holy kiss, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Grow up. Be complete. I love you guys. I don't want to come with sharpness of words. I don't want to come and have to bring the ride care for you and that that this is this is probably one of the hardest books for Paul to write to just have to bear his soul and pretend like he's boasting because he didn't want to boast Paul says my boast is in the Lord it's not in me it's in him his power thank you for listening this podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by third mass studio for your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.